What's going on, everybody? Welcome to People Playing Games, a podcast all about the people who make the world of video games awesome. And joining me today is a longtime member of the fighting game community, a Mortal Kombat and Injustice specialist, and someone who has turned a love for commentary into a career. He's one half of the duo known as Ketchup and Mustard. Jake, Mustard, Neil, how's everything going? How's it going? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm uh, just here on my lunch break, so I've got some time and thought I'd sit down and have a bit of a chat. It's been a while since uh, I've had the opportunity to do something like this, so I quite enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chat. Uh, yeah, we were just talking before um, before we got started how you just got back from Evo. You kind of just recovered from being sick from all the travel, so it seems like it's been a pretty busy few weeks for you. <laughs> it's it's been a bit up and down. Um, obviously, the the absolute up of up being going to Evo this year and being part of the Injustice Pro Series and the Tekken World Tour on the same weekend, which was really cool. And the only real downside to that is somehow I managed to avoid getting ill from like a year's worth of events but not this time this this evo defeated me on the way back and i've spent the last week and a half being completely ridden with flu or stuck in bed or having to soldier through it but you know touch wood fingers crossed all those lucky charms and hopefully i'll be all right for the foreseeable yeah well, I'm, I'm glad you're recovering you sounded pretty good right now um so speaking of evo what were some personal highlights for you this year uh, I think truly um, on 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 a per- on a very personal note was seeing how um, all of Europe in in injustice particularly all of the Europeans that we travelled with um, being Foxy Grandpa Mads in Nivek and our longtime personal friend Omega K who might be a little bit of a less known player but they're big names in European Netherrealm games and they were all there at Evo this year to play. And they all made it out of their pools. They all got pretty far in the bracket. Uh, as far as I'm aware, they all got top 64. And this was a tournament of almost 900 people. So all in all, even though no Europeans actually made top eight, I think Europe did very well. And on a personal note, because I've kind of been with these guys the entirety of the time, we've all been in the fighting game scene. We've all been there together. So being there, also a very loud car going by. Um, also cool. to be there with them at the time, considering the first year for another one game is always like it's most significant um that was a big thing for me but uh another one was um just seeing how much more spacious the event was this time like truly it seemed like every game was given a decent amount of respect and space and all the games seemed to be treated well i know there were some hardware issues for some games which was unfortunate but it seemed like as a general rule of thumb every game had a lot of space and was treated well and uh, i think finally was just being a part of the Tekken World Tour, um, in the sense that uh, Ketchup and I were given a block of commentary to do during the pool play, which we didn't expect, but we're happy to do, because we've been doing a lot of Tekken in the UK through the Tekken mm-hmm. 7 UK Championship, and we've been doing a lot of stuff with the UK scene here. And being able to do that on the world stage, where somehow in the the one two-hour block of Tekken, we got to commentate speed kicks, we had knee, we had Saint, like... We had some of the absolute best players around in our wow. one block of pools, which we like didn't expect at all. So that was good fun. Do you guys have any time to actually play or, or just hang out during Evo? Uh, hang out, definitely. Um, obviously, when the event shuts at like sort of 7, 8, and it's all kind of done for the day, uh, I say 7, 8, closer to 9 o'clock, I suppose. But when, when the tournaments are done for the day and the event is shut, then you've basically got all evening to just go grab some dinner or hang out with people and have a catch-up because... You know, as you might expect, being a international going to Vegas, we don't get the chance to go to America 
often, even though this past year particularly we've been fortunate enough to go about three or four times through just the Injustice Pro Series, usually it's a lot more of a, you know, we'll see these guys once a year sort of thing. So we'll definitely use that time to hang out and catch up. To play, definitely not, unfortunately, um, aside from maybe just sitting down for some casuals here and there. Uh, my biggest regret from Evo this year actually was uh, on the convention side of things. They had Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, Dragon Ball Z, and the one I'm personally the most looking forward to was the new Eureka fighting game, the mm-hmm. Fighting Layer EX. They were all playable there this week uh, on the weekend, and I didn't have time to, to play any of them, and I was so disappointed because I was like so excited to give them a go. But you know, obviously priorities and all that, we had to make sure we were well rested and ready to go for all the days we were there playing. So uh, hopefully next time, if there is a next time. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully next year. Um, so you know, obviously you you've been coming you travel so much and you know you guys have been coming to evo for a while what are kind of some of the big differences between uh you know being in the states and being back home um when it comes to fighting games specifically there's actually quite a lot of similarities between the uk and europe and the us when it comes to sort of just general atmosphere and the crowd because ultimately the fgc is a global thing so the fighting game scene, no matter where you are, is going to have a certain level of enthusiasm and passion towards what they're watching. So the crowd is always energetic. The sort of, you know, the people getting together with their boys and their groups of uh, sort of, you know, clans or teams or whatever's going on. Like th- th- that sort of thing in the crowd is still very much apparent no matter where you are. And because so many people sort of, you know, communicate via Twitter or forums or anything like that nowadays, th- the general vibe is quite similar. The biggest difference, I think, is perhaps the scale of the events. Uh, it, Evo is very much its own its own thing. There is no tournament in the world that feels like Evo. But this year, we were fortunate enough to go to Combo Breaker for the first time, which is a big American major fighting game event that has been super significant for the Netherrealm community for many years. And this was the first time we got to attend that. And even that being a, considering America has like a major every month, you know, it seems that every couple of weeks there's like a big event going on somewhere. Every single American major we've been to has just seemed like such a bigger event overall in terms of just obviously the numbers are there, the amount of games they can run, the amount of staff they have. And I feel like that might just be like a comparison to just how much bigger America is than the UK generally as a whole. So obviously the UK is very scaled down. Not to say that the talent isn't there. Obviously the tournament organizers in the UK are phenomenal and do their job very, very well. But Mm. the, the, the sheer scale of everything is just so much bigger in America. Yeah, especially, I mean, you look at CEO and, and like you said, Combo Breaker and, you know, these these other events that used to kind of be kind of, you know, on the road to Evo, they're kind of approaching that Evo scale of just being conventions it, and having other things to do. The gap is definitely closing in between them. Um, I think sort of the, the general hype level of the crowd at Combo Breaker definitely felt similar to Evo, like it was just as loud. Ultimately, it was a lot of the same people, so that kind of makes sense. But I think CEO, CEO is another one that, uh, you know, Ketchup and I really, really want to go to eventually, you know, maybe next year, but... Um, it really seems to be though those big major events are all sort of closing in on the scale of Evo, but not quite there yet. But it's definitely a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're gonna jump right into our first segment. Gonna get a little bit of your gaming history here, Jake. So uh, this is called first favorite worst. And what I want to know is the first game you ever played, your favorite game of all time, and what you think is the worst oh. game you ever played. 
Find I think out. I, I think I could take a guess at what one of those might be, but but uh, go ahead. you, you go might ahead. be surprised. To be honest, you might be surprised. <laughs> um, I might have to do the boring thing and say now do the generic thing of well, that I can't possibly pick just one game. Um, oh, it's okay. So, so uh, very few people have been able to. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm fairly confident about a few of them. Um, the first the first game I ever played was uh, as far as I'm aware, and this is what I've believed my entire life was actually probably not to a huge surprise mortal kombat 3 on the super nintendo um i remember we were we were kids around our cousin's house and he had a super nintendo at the time and he had a small library of games he had like killer instinct um super mario world uh mortal kombat 3 and i remember playing mk3 them for the first time because he had two mm. controllers which you know, we, we hadn't really seen it much uh, before then we thought it was kind of just you know you, you just play and that was it and then uh, he just gave us the controller and made us play, or not not made us, but, you know, said, hey, you know, hey, kids, play this. It'd be cool. In, in a typical, like, older cousin stance, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it was MK3, and we were probably far too young to be playing it at the time. We were about five, <laughs> five, I think, at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the first memory I have of playing a game. And then that was about that from then on, and we proceeded to play each sort of mainly nintendo console from then moving up until obviously nintendo 64 ps1 that kind of thing favorite game of all time is actually banjo kazooie on nintendo 64 nice that game is perfection in my eyes uh, it kind of just it really summed up everything i liked about video games when i was a kid like the whole scale of it it felt like i mean when you're a kid and you were infinitely worse at games than you are when you get a little <laughs> bit older i remember that that took me months to complete when i was younger uh, and that was like finding it difficult to get a hundred percent on all the levels because I didn't know where everything was, or I couldn't find certain things, or some of the trials were too difficult. So when I when I finally was able to get a hundred percent on it as a kid, to me that was like the biggest accomplishment I could ever remember. And it was just oh, I loved it, and it really shaped the kind of games I liked growing up, um, sort of through that age. Because even though we always played fighting games as like a a fond genre, we would sort of grow up with. For me, three D platformers were kind of like my favorite thing to go to because from there i played like a lot of donkey kong 64 D, uh, donkey kong country was my favorite super nintendo game um mm. i ninja for ps2 um all sorts of just cool platformers like that and that really sort of shaped what i enjoyed through my sort of early teenage years obviously the super marios and all that good stuff spyro crash all that awesome stuff from that sort of age i suppose when it comes to worst game i've ever played i'm I honestly, I'm not really sure if it's a case of a game that I think is truly terrible or just a kind of game that I'm not really a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... it's, it's, Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Uh, It's With this question specifically, I feel like a lot of people can't even really think of their least favorite games. I think we tend to just kind of stop playing or forget about the games that are bad. I th- the thing is, when when I was younger, it was kind of like, because I, I only really got games if it was like Christmas or birthday, and that would be like, all I'd ask for was like, birthday was around, I'd ask for one game, Christmas was around, I'd ask for one game, and you know, that would kind of be my, my thing for the next couple of months to deal with, as I'm sure right. it's the same for a lot of kids. Um, so when I was a kid, I was, because it was so infrequent that I would get a new game, I would just convince myself that every game I played was amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, 100%. Yeah, so it wouldn't feel like it was, you know, a wasted couple of months. And I remember we, I, th- I think I think our mum picked it up from like a charity shop once. And it was a it was a game called James Bond Jr. for the Super Nintendo. Yep. It was a 2D platformer, which at the time I was playing Donkey Kong 
country, I was playing um, Super Mario World, and you know, I saw another 2D platform. And I was like, brilliant, another one to sink my teeth into. And then, even as a kid, I could beat that game in like an hour. Mm. Which, when I was as as bad at games as I was back then, that was always a bad sign. And right. uh, I, I never truly appreciated how bad that game was until I went back to it as an adult. And I was sort of like revisiting some of those old games just to see how they held up. And James Bond Jr. does not hold up. <laughs> yeah, for anyone wondering, don't go back to it. I would not recommend. <laughs> All right, so uh, shifting gears a bit, um, I want to know about the origins of Ketchup and Mustard. Um, you know, how you guys kind of settle on those names and kind of your journeys uh, to kind of becoming... Uh, you know, well-known in the fighting game community and, and doing the things you do now. So where, where did it all start? Well, the, the names come from a... Um, it's basically a tribute to Mortal Kombat 3 being the first game we ever played and truly the game that got us into Mortal Kombat as a franchise because it was very much we played Mortal Kombat 3 and then we played Mortal Kombat 4 on the Nintendo 64. Then we played uh, Deadly Alliance and then all, all of them growing up through. So we started with MK3 and then we did play every major MK title up until now. And it all started off back then. And even back then as, as kids, we, we really liked Cyrax and Sector as two characters in the game. They were our favorites by far, even as kids. And every game they were playable in would go straight to them and basically just use nothing but them, um, which kind of... I suppose shaped our, our love for them in fighting games generally mm. and the names were just we, we were just on a train to our first you know grassroots tournament because we, we'd done um, we'd actually entered a promotional Mortal Kombat 9 event that was going on in the UK just casually because mm. Warner Brothers were holding a bunch of like demo tournaments for the demo that you could download at a bunch of game stores through the country and if you won a tournament at a store you'd get sent to the gadget show which was a big convention in the UK where you'd play a finals and play for a cabinet an arcade cabinet and a belt and stuff like that and it was all free to enter it was all promotional stuff and we thought you know hell we live in a city that one of these qualifiers is happening let's download the demo give it a bash and see what happens and somehow uh, Ketchup was able to win that entire thing he won the store tournament it was like we'd never competed before but he'd won right. that very convincingly we were quite surprised um then we went to the gadget show and he basically just mopped everyone up there too um <laughs> and then he ended up winning the whole thing which was the last thing we expected but we thought it was a good start and, and it was something that we very much enjoyed the whole experience of traveling to a tournament you know staying in a hotel for the night going to the event being you know not really knowing anyone there not really knowing who's going to be there how they play what characters are, you know you're going to be seen and stuff like that and that was very much our introduction to competitive tournaments and that was actually where we met ryan hart for the first time because he you know you might not be surprised won the london qualifier event not a and, surprise uh, and, and was there we basically just got talking and you know we were just talking about fighting games as a whole he introduced us to competitive fighting games and said hey you know here's a website you can go to it was neo empire at the time here are some venues and addresses for tournaments that are coming up. They've got Mortal Kombat. You guys should come along. And that's exactly what we did. We booked a train to London and then just on the train down to the tournament, we didn't really know what to do. And we realized we'd have to come up with names for ourselves, you know, sort of aliases in the in the uh, the tournament itself. And we knew we'd be playing Sarks and Sector because the, the actual Mortal Kombat 9 was out by then. So we were playing them exclusively at home. And we thought, well, during the MK3 days in sort of the actual development process of the game, Midway referred to Sarix and Sector as ketchup and mustard because they couldn't think of a name to give these two robot characters. So that was kind of their prototype names until they came up with something better. 
So we, we thought we'd just go with that. We knew we'd be using them in tournament. We knew every tournament we ended, we'd be using Cyrix and Sector. So we thought, screw it, let's just call ourselves that. And that very much is what we've stuck with for the last six years. So obviously you talked about your love for Cyrix and Sector. When you guys are playing a game that doesn't have those characters, like Injustice or you know Mortal Kombat X at first, do you still aim to kind of pick characters that complement each other in a similar way? Well, a lot of players do it the, the sensible way, which is the way you should do it as a competitive player, where you go with whatever... You kind of ignore the look, you ignore the lore and stuff, and you just go by what character fits the way you play the most. Um, in terms of if you like whoever has maybe a lot of like... For example, in, in, in Mortal Kombat X, a big thing was like, you know, run cancel characters, dash cancels mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So you might want to go towards characters that have that similar kind of rushdown in whatever fighting game you're playing. You might prefer zoning, keep away characters. You might prefer characters that excel in footsies, characters that have amazing anti-airs, characters that uh, have, you know, a big set play factor that are good at knocking you down and mixing you up until you're dead kind of thing. Um, and I think sort of... Ketchup and I have elements of that when we look for characters in the fighting game, but obviously that isn't going to happen 100% of the time. Like, mm-hmm. for example, um, Ketchup, obviously Sector being a big keep-away zoning archetype for most of the games that he's in, uh, has kind of meant that Ketchup tends to favor more defensive projectile-based characters like Cyborg and Injustice 2. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean that's it. You know, you're going to automatically play the best of those. If you're going to play the best keepaway character in the game, you might want to play someone like Deadshot. But right. because Ketchup prefers Cyborg to Deadshot as a character, he still ticks the boxes that he wants as a character, but that is, I suppose, less important. Because Ketchup and I aren't tournament players anymore, we you know we, we are competitive and we do play as much as we can to, to get to a high level because we just enjoy playing fighting games at a high level even though we might mm-hmm. not be able to win as much as we used to we still enjoy the the process of learning a fighting game and playing it to the best of our abilities um because we aren't competing we don't have a, a necessity to go straight to the best of that archetype so you can look at who is a keepaway character and out of the selection of keepaway characters and zoning characters who do i like the most and that's very much what ketchup's done Whereas I've kind of settled on Red Hood and Injustice 2 because Sarax has always been a very mix-up heavy character. In MK, MK9, he had elements of it, but was kind of just mainly about his just sheer combo damage. And in MKX, mm. he was very much a, a okay set play. I'm going to hit you once and do something that's very dangerous for me, but going to you know get me a crazy payout and keep you guessing kind of thing which is element it's an element to what red hood can do his his mind being low and having a bunch of overheads mean he has a lot of tricky mix-ups and stuff like that Godoki and general stuff like that um so it kind of means that we'll go to characters that vaguely represent those characters perhaps as long as we still enjoy them as long as we still like them and then you'll play a game like for example tekken 7 which plays unlike any other game we've ever played in terms of fighting games and we just go to who we enjoy the most so it really depends on the game and whether they can actually tick those boxes cool awesome and uh yeah you talked about mortal kombat 9 kind of as the start of you you guys getting into competing uh but when did the passion shift towards commentary that was a a long process um, really and it actually started off of content creation so when we first started we were competitive players in like 2011 we played mk9 competitively and that was literally just tournaments like even though right now we do twitch we do youtube we obviously do commentary through esl and stuff like that back then it was just we we played and we entered tournaments and that was it we didn't use twitter we didn't the most we'd do was go on test your might and, and use the forums and talk with the community that was literally as much as we would do back then so mm-hmm. back then it was all about just playing it was all about trying to be the best it was 
all about just trying to win tournaments. We enjoyed it. Uh, we have met some of some of our best friends to this day. We met through tournaments, and I assume they'll be friends for our entire lives. Um, but that was all sort of back then. And as we would go longer and longer and longer through playing tournaments, the more events we would go to, the more people we would meet, the more people we'd meet in the industry, the more sort of publishers, the more developers, the more marketeers, the more product managers, the more PR guys would meet. And we'd be introduced to this the side of the industry that was just so exciting, you know, the the events, the organization and just the experience of being there that we very quickly realized that that was a line of work we would love to pursue full time. Um, however, you know, at the time we were just doing tournaments. So we were like, that line of work is great, but tournaments is really where our sort of passions lie. And commentary really blends those together because to be a commentator, you are obviously have to have to be involved with the game. You have to be involved with the community. You have to play it a lot. You have to do your homework to, to research and be just learn as much about the game as possible. But being a commentator means that you're still part of those events. You're still part of the cogs and the wheels that keep the whole thing going. Um, but you don't do it at sort of a sacrifice of being part of the community or being part of the, the, the community itself. But um, that actual shift happened where it was, I believe, the end of Injustice One's life and MKX was just about to come out. So we were at the time working for Rockstar Games as QA testers. Um, and very oh, cool. much uh, one of our main hobbies was still playing fighting games constantly and doing what we what we've been doing for years up until that point. But uh, the nine to five, or I should say, like the, the night shift, so the uh, the eight the eight p.m. until five thirty a.m. I suppose is the <laughs> one there. But uh, that was very much uh, testing and sort of we were working sort of in the industry at the time. And as Mortal Kombat X was coming out, we had a hunch that there was going to be some promotional stuff going on for it because Warner Brothers approached us to help them with a, a promotional Injustice 1 tour, Injustice Gods Among Us, where through meeting us through the MK9 thing that I mentioned before, the thing that Ketchup won, they knew about us at the time. They knew that we were really involved in the NetherRealm community. They knew that we obviously knew our stuff in the game because they knew we were good players. And they approached us to help them with some promotional tournaments in the exact same style they did for MK9, only they were doing it for Injustice. And they approached us because they said they needed two guys that knew the community, that uh, were enthusiastic and kind of knew their stuff to go around with the promotional version of the game. And it was the same thing, going from store to store, holding a tournament at every one, and then ultimately there was going to be a finals. But the finals, they wanted us to commentate. And this was the first time we'd ever done any kind of commentary. And looking back, it was probably terrible commentary, but we very much enjoyed it. And we thought, oh, this is great. You know, this is really good fun. So after that, we started to do a lot of YouTube in our own time. We started doing just, you know, gameplay. Um, we used to do, like, uh, just videos together, Let's Plays, just generic gaming YouTube stuff, I suppose. But a lot of it became very fighting game focused when we realized that we really enjoyed just chatting to people about fighting games. Like, we just liked talking to people <laughs> about them. And uh, then, obviously, the, the rise of Twitch happened, and we decided to try and giving that a go. We were streaming Mortal Kombat 9, streaming a little bit of Injustice. Um to, to, no viewership either like for, for the longest time we, we'd barely break 10 viewers if that but it didn't stop mm -hmm. us from doing it because we, we, we enjoyed the process um and then as mkx was coming out uh we had a meeting with warner brothers and they were and, and they basically told us that okay we're going to be doing pro league we're going to be doing the mortal Kombat cup and we need some designated commentators to basically just live and breathe this game for months uh, for a couple of months or however long it was going to be at the time and Considering we were very much planning on just dedicating ourselves to Mortal Kombat X anyway, we thought, um, and, and a big thing they said was, obviously, if, if you choose to commentate the Pro League, 
you can't enter the Pro League. So they, they gave us the choice. They said, we, we know you guys are players and we'll probably stand a good chance at placing well in the Pro League. So we're going to give you the choice now. We'd love you guys to commentate. Um, we understand you haven't done commentary much at this point, but we know it's something you guys enjoy and we like what you've done so far. But we would also understand that you're players. So they, they gave us the choice early on. Um, and that was just for the Pro League. That wasn't like you can never compete again. It was if you commentate the Pro League, you can't enter the Pro League. That was all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought that at the time we had more to offer the community as commentators than we did as players because we didn't need to play to show that Europe was good at the game um, and we were hoping that would sort of remain true through MKX so we knew we did we weren't needed as players to make sure that Europe was represented well as players because we had good players by then whereas commentary they're, they're really and even to this day there's like very little commentary in European Netherrealm games there's, there's a few up and coming ones that I hope have a really good year ahead of them but at the time, there was nothing, including us. We weren't, we weren't even commentators at the time, like full-time or uh, even like what I'd consider proper commentators. Like We were just new commentators at the time, completely. <laughs> um, so we decided to do that. It involved living in Poland for about four months, commentating the Pro League from there. And because we lived in Poland, we did streaming every day because we had nothing else to do. We did YouTube every day. <laughs> and the first year of Mortal Kombat really sort of skyrocketed that for us. Our YouTube exploded. Our Twitch got, you know... Yeah, I know it's not the biggest channel out there, but for us, it was big at the time. It was definitely getting bigger, and we're very happy with how it's sort of gone. But that was our first real, trend. I think, transition from player to commentator was season one of the Pro League when we were living in Poland. MKX had just come out, and uh, that really was the start of what we do now. Yeah, and that, that brings me right to my next question. Uh, you know, Today, you guys uh, work for ESL. You cast tons of events. Um, so how did you guys end up landing that gig? Um, ultimately, I think it's because ESL were the the driving force behind what made MKX so successful competitively on an esports scale. Because before Mortal Kombat X, another realm didn't really have esports. There were a couple of MLG events through um, Injustice and MK9. The MK9 ones went pretty pretty damn good. The Injustice one was definitely not favored among the community whatsoever, um, which kind of left a bit of a, a bad taste in the mouth of the community in regards to esports, considering how that event went. But ESL coming into to things and doing a pro league really was the start of everything the Netherrealm community has now, I think. And I'm, I'm not just saying that as an employee. That's kind of what the, the general community is aware of right now. Because um, at the time, we were just freelance casters as far as ESL was concerned. We were just commentators they brought into the pro league. Um but through doing season one of the Pro League, living in Poland for two months, doing season two of the Pro League, living in Poland for another couple of months, and then season three of the Pro League was actually done in the UK. Because by the time season three happened, the UK studio for ESL had opened. Um, our venue was ready for live events. We have a big studio one here in Leicester where we do loads of esports shows, and that was ready for events like this. So we started doing the Pro League from the UK instead, which meant that we didn't have to... You know, on, on a bit of a personal note, that was a bit better for us because even though the, the Polish team were great to work with, it's a lot more comfortable for me to live in the UK because I am from the UK. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more familiar to me. So it meant that we didn't have to live in Poland anymore for it. We could do it from the UK. And um, at the time, the UK studio was expanding and they, they approached us and uh, they, they said to us, you know, we, we really want you guys to work for us. We're doing big things with fighting games basically from this point on and we'd love you guys to be with us 
for the journey and we accepted and here we are a year and a half later almost and we have done a lot of stuff that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise and a lot of that has been fighting game related we've helped the i think we've helped a lot of relationships between esl and a lot of other companies in the uk in regards to fighting games and fingers crossed that maintains strong because we're having a lot of fun here we're really enjoying our work and it's it's put us in a good situation you know we you know we're in our own house now and I mean, we rent. We don't own a house. We don't own that much. <laughs> uh, we're in a You'll get there. We're in a comfortable position. You know, I'm, I'm able to save for my wedding. I'm going to be living with my fiance of at this point three or four years very soon, and that's all happening because we have a full time job in esports. Oh, that's awesome! Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. It's terrifying, but we're getting there. <laughs> and uh, so, what, what's a typical day of, of working for ESL like? It really varies depending on what projects we're working on at the time. So if we have huge events coming up, it's very um, clear that our workload for the day has to be just prepare for that show. For example, um, we have a, a massive Quake event coming up. We've been doing a lot of commentary for the Quake World Championships with Quake Champions. And we've been doing a lot of European stuff. And European Quake is like nuts like the absolute <laughs> watching some of the best quake players from europe is insane like the level of play is ridiculous and they're the kind of players that we commentate on a weekly basis um however we don't have a long quake background competitively we've enjoyed quake as a franchise a lot growing up and we've watched it where we can especially since getting into esports the last sort of five six years but ultimately we were new to quake as a whole we were new to the community we were new to the game we were new to the developers we were new to the excuse me we were new to the viewers which meant that a lot of preparation had to be going into that. And it's not like we're just doing a little bit of a ragtag quake show. This is literally the world championship for a million dollars. So um, the fact that they wanted us as commentators for it meant that there was a lot of pressure, which means that ultimately my workload, when there's a, a big quake show coming up, for example, next week we have the European regionals where the winning players on the regionals go to QuakeCon for the Quake World Championships where they actually play for the million dollars. Um, with a show that significant coming up, we have to make sure that we're spending the day, we're watching Quake VODs, we are studying tournament broadcasts, we're going back to Quake Cons through the last X amount of years, looking at where have they placed, how did they place, who did they lose to, who did they beat, what weapons do they use, what teams have they been under. Um, and even then, more recently, Quake Champions, what community events have they played in, how are they taking to the game themselves, what have they been saying, what comments have they been making. And we have to make sure that we are aware of as much of that as possible, because when it comes to crunch time on the regionals, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that tournament, old and new, who are going to kind of expect that knowledge out of us. So we have to make sure that we are as ready as possible for that. And it's the same thing, like, for example, Evo. Uh, we knew we were commentating Tekken Evo, so I'm going to spend a lot of my day watching Tekken, studying Tekken. Um, you know, fortunately, a lot of the time, playing Tekken, you know, make sure uh, playing these games is, is, a, is a part of the workload. It's not like, you know, from 9 till 6, I'm going to be playing 8 hours of, of Tekken 7. That's not how it's going to work. But right. you know, we can dedicate a few hours here and there um, throughout the week to make sure that we are studied and, and up to date. Um, and, we, you know, because obviously, learn, learn through doing. Playing is, is one of the easiest ways to learn how what the thought process is going to be behind the players that are actually playing the game itself competitively. However, if there's not an event coming up, because we have a big content creation background between the two of us now through YouTube and Twitch, um, we do a lot of video creation for the company. Uh, we do a lot of sort of, you know, recaps of competitive events. We'll do top five moments, interviews with players, um, event uh sort of not, not vlogs as such but like event coverage will go for example like Eurogamer or evo will take a camera with us and we'll make like uh, a video that will take a nice microphone with us and interview some players and get some cool footage there and stuff like that 
And just uh, we have a lot of freedom with videos for the company. So we'll make a lot of cool content that we can sort of put out, use as VTs for shows, use during ad breaks and uh, basically just just do what we can to sort of just make sure that we're always adding in to ESL. Awesome. Well, it definitely sounds like you guys are never bored. <laughs> you could say that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely a line of work that we never thought we'd be doing this quickly. Um, I mean, right. we, we, I know we're not the youngest guys on the planet, but we are only 25 right now. And being 20, being 25 and being quite new in what is definitely an up and coming, um, rapidly growing industry in, in competitive games and esports is, I think we're, we're, I think we've put ourselves in a really good situation and it's something that we are really enjoying. I, I mean, to sort of just put it into perspective, I can't remember the last time I wasn't looking forward to coming into work in the morning. You know what I mean? Like I'm always looking forward to getting into the office and doing what I'm doing for the day because it is such a, a high speed, enjoyable line of work if you are into games and that's right. i think one thing that makes it working here so fun is um the sort of the, the colleagues and the team we have here because everyone here is like mad into games and that's what you'd expect that's what you'd hope for but because that's the case everyone kind of gets it when it comes to planning events and and, and what it is we're working with like um when the when the product managers here are working with us on a fighting game like they get basically just as into it as we do especially when we're on the road with them and uh, doing what we do because it's just everyone's here is so enthusiastic about games as a whole it's very easy to sort of get into the hype of it all and we enjoy it together that sounds awesome sounds like a blast and uh you know you guys have forged this amazing career in esports uh, but do you ever miss competing like on a tournament level <laughs> funny you should say that because um at this year's evo i was sitting around and i was watching all the people play in the pools and i and i i remember saying these exact words to to some friends of mine I was standing next to him and I was just like, watching everyone compete here makes me wish I was playing. Because I watch them, I watch them get excited, I watch them get salty when they lose, I watch them get like, you know, crushed when they get eliminated. And then on the other side of things, I watch them, you know, explode when they win. I watch them get super happy watching their friends play. And because I know what it feels like for them to do that, that is a massively rewarding feeling that every competitive player will have. It's when you're at an event like Evo or an event on that scale, it's like a big championship event, and you win a set that came down to the wire. Um, I, I, I know how good that feels. So when I see that happen, I'm, I, and I know how exciting that is and how it just gives you memories that you'll be fond of for years to come. And often I, I will wish that we could still do that sometimes, but it's not like... It's not like something that we will never be able to do again, because ultimately the only, the only way I won't be able to commentate and uh, to, to play in a tournament is if I'm commentating it, which right. for the sake of you know work and the fact that um, ultimately I enjoy being a commentator more than I enjoy being a competitive player. For me, it's it's not hard. Like if, if if I'm commentating, I won't miss playing because I'm commentating. It's when I'm watching and I'm not commentating that I wish I could play. But a lot of the times that will be the case. Like if I'm if I'm physically at an event and I'm not there to commentate then I will be able to enter, and I probably will. Like, especially if it's like an Injustice event or something that I'm really into. Because um, ultimately, why not, right? You know, I haven't really got anything to lose. I'll just enter and, and have a lot of fun with it. But um, I think it's uh, definitely something that the longer we, we sort of do commentary and the more that we do, and, you know, fingers crossed the better that we can get at it, the, the more I'll just not really worry about entering tournaments anymore because we're definitely sort of in that transitional phase where mkx would enter a few tournaments here and there whereas in justice 2 we are yet to enter a tournament so i think right mm. now i'm missing it the most but it's not i'm not missing it at the at the expense of wishing i wasn't doing commentary because ultimately like i wouldn't change these circumstances for anything i very much love how things are right now especially with the commentary
Yeah, it seems like you guys are in a great place. And what advice would you give for uh, people looking to get into commentary or you know, even just people that want to try and have a career in esports in general? Um, I think a big thing is don't lose the passion, don't lose the enthusiasm, because ultimately, like, I, I, I am yet to meet, and I, I don't want to just, you know, be arrogant and say that I am successful, but I, I, am, I am yet to meet a successful person in the industry that isn't, like, massively into what they do. And I think that that's a big part of it. Like, if you're an aspiring anything in competitive games, just make sure that that, that sort of, that enthusiasm doesn't go away, because that is a big part of the driving force that will help you continue. Um, ultimately, it, it's what got you there in the first place. It's what got you interested in what you're now doing. Um, and also, don't be, especially on the content creator, uh, creation side of things, don't be disheartened by low numbers early on. Because ultimately, like if you're making videos and you're streaming, you're not doing it because you want to be famous. You're not doing it because you want to be a, a big celebrity. Um, you're doing it because you enjoy the process. And the longer you do that and the more natural you are, the... the Eventually, it will come. You know, you you might make videos and stream for like years before you even remotely start to get a viewer base that you're happy with. But you know, or it could take a couple of weeks. You know, and you, you never know. It's 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 a fickle thing, content creation. But it's uh, definitely something that the longer you do it, the, the the better chance you will have to make something out of it. Really, I suppose. But um, the, I think I think the the big main important thing is just don't lose the enthusiasm. Make sure you're always passionate because you need that to get anywhere. Absolutely. And on the flip side, who are the people that inspire you to do what you do? Um, actually, uh, this is gonna, I don't, don't want to sound generic as such, but two commentators that uh, me and me and Ketchup really looked up to the whole time was uh, Ultra David and James Chen. Oh, of course. Um, they very much were kind of like the... I think the the epitome of, of what we wanted to be in terms of like synergy with each other. Um, and I, I, I think a big thing is just comfort. I am I, I can't remember the last time I watched the two of them on a show um, work anything together as a pair where they didn't look like they were in complete control. Even if it's a game that they're not as used to, like a brand new game. Like when Street Fighter Five first came out and no one really had any knowledge, they still looked like they'd been commentating Street Fighter Five for years together. You know what I mean? And I think um, a big part of, 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 of why I enjoy what I do so much is because I get to do it with... Ryan, I you know it's it's we're very much brothers, we're best friends, and we basically do everything together now in terms of work, and that is a big part of of why I enjoy what I do so much, just because we are a pair and we've managed to forge this sort of path, and I suppose you could say this this quote unquote brand together as a two. So now without the two of us, it doesn't really work, <laughs> which I think has kind of <laughs> uh, helped us out in that regard. But um, yeah, that's also what I see, you know, when, when I watch. When I when I when I'd watch Ultra David and James Chen and I watch them together, um, and that's kind of what I, I, I we really sort of aspired to be as a pair together some years down the line. Uh, we had no idea it would take off as fast as it has done. Like we've only been doing this for about two and a half, um, close. It, it will be three years next year, so about two and a half years at this point. Um, we had no idea it would take off this fast, but um, ultimately that that's what we wanted. Because I, I remember. You know, back when I was in college and I didn't even play competitive fighting games, but I played Street Fighter 4 just on the Xbox 360, just as a complete scrub who just had no idea what he was doing. I just do special moves, and I <laughs> thought knowing how to do all the ultra combos made me, you know, sick at the game. But um, <laughs> I remember watching Evo back then. It was it was the year where it was Daigo versus Ricky in Grand Finals. I remember watching the the vods for that just after it happened, and 
You know, it was, it was the year that Gamer B had his like breakout performance and Mike Ross made top eight. I remember watching that thinking, holy crap, this is this is amazing. Like what I wouldn't give to be there. Look at all these people. And then just in a few years time, I'm like right in there now with another own community. And that is I'm, I'm literally in the the environment that I remember watching six years ago, thinking to myself, holy crap, that looks incredible. I'd love to be there. And now six years later, I'm in there and it's with the another own community, which, you know, we've we've been a part of for so long. Oh, that's an awesome journey, and that about does it for my questions, Jake. Uh, are there any shout-outs you want to give, any cool things you're working on that you want people to know about? Um, I mean, I guess uh, shameless plug of the YouTube, really. <laughs> if, if <laughs> no, you, not uh... shameless at all. That's <laughs> that's what this section's here for. Well, I mean, uh, the YouTube is something that we really enjoy doing personally in our own time. Um, it's, it's very much separate to all work that we do. Like, our Twitch and our YouTube is very much still our independent thing. Um mm. And that's the, the the way we've we've kept it for a long time because it seems like um, obviously we we we're, we're very uh, official and I don't want to say censored but we're we're definitely a bit more tame when it comes to working official events like because um, obviously you have to have a bit a bit of respect and professionalism where where it's appropriate it tends to be appropriate most of the time if I'm working with yourself yeah. or something but our YouTube <laughs> and Twitch are somewhere where we can very much just let loose and be ourselves a lot of the time and yeah. I, I don't say that as in I'm a very different person. I say that as in I swear a lot in my own time. Well, I was gonna, I'm la- yeah, I, I'm laughing because I've I've watched you guys play a good chunk of Injustice Two ranked matches. Oh, oh, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am yeah. a sweary individual when it comes to playing ranked match on on uh, Injustice or MKX. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's you know it's 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 not always serious, and a lot of the time it's kind of just it's it's all in good fun, right? And part of that just comes from shouting and screaming and swearing and genuinely being not very safe for work. Awesome, and uh, you are on Twitter at uh, PND Mustard. At PND is that Mustard, and at YouTube at PND K and M because it used to be PND Ketchup, and we can't think of a better name. <laughs> so, guys listening at home, definitely follow uh, Mustard and Ketchup everywhere they are. Uh, they've got some great fighting game content all over the internet. Oh, thank you and, very much. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you, Jake, for coming on. This has been super fun. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. It's been. Uh... I think as as casual as I was wanting it to be. I mean, um, I, I think I definitely prefer these sort of podcast style interviews to written, right? Because we kind of just get to sit back and just chat. You know, it feels like more of a, an actual genuine conversation, and I like that. Exactly. That's that's what this show is all about. So glad you had a good time. And uh, as always, guys, this has been People Playing Games. You could follow us on Twitter at PPG Podcasts. You could find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are available: iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever service you like. Uh, I've been your host, Mike Andronico. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Andronico. And thanks again for listening. As always, guys, keep playing. <laughs>